Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. So we took a little break from fantasy yesterday. Big whoop. We'll do it again today. I'm already starting to hit that part of the offseason. It's exactly, by the way, two months today from the end of the NBA regular season, or it's been, I should say, two months since the end of the NBA regular season. We are about four months away from next season's opening night. The finals, you know, we're not in the dog days yet of the offseason, which is sort of a misapplication of a baseball moniker. We're not there yet, but again, with the sort of long breaks between finals games, with the exception of just this one, since we do have another finals game tonight, this is a slower time. It's a slowdown. And then you get this little blip, like this big, this very quick, but very significant upward bump in activity where the finals end. And I, you know, I, have a, I have a sneaking suspicion these finals are going to end in five. I don't know that Denver loses again. Although, I did go on VEASAN and say I thought it was going six games, so maybe I should stick to my guns on that. It just sort of felt like Denver got their wake-up call. Regardless, we talked about that on yesterday's show. Um, <sighs> There's not a lot going on in fantasy right now. So we do these we do these season reviews. It's nice we're sort of save them for this time of the year to kind of get us through it. The other downtime is after this this jump that's coming for the draft and then free agency is only like a week and a half after that. So there will be a lot of stuff going on for about two and a half to three weeks and then it goes quiet. Mid-July to summer league. It's 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 pretty quiet. We're going to be... We might do some extraordinarily early draft stuff in there just to kind of have some fun, but that's when things really get ugly. I'm warning you guys now. You're going to see me, like, totally losing my mind during that stretch of time. Anywho, today we're talking Cleveland Cavaliers. We do have some... And I don't know, I, for, I forgot to talk about it a day and a half ago, and then I forgot to talk about it yesterday also. But um, this Chris Paul news is actually uh, not nothing. We'll get to that towards the end, because you guys know I, I always got to carve out some kind of time for Chris Paul. He deserves a little bit of time on our podcast. Uh, but at the same time, uh, this season he really did kind of just look old. So how much time do we really want to do with this stuff? Well, we'll see. We'll see. Um, so uh, let's talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers. First, first things first. Uh, f- uh, first thing, I guess, is to say hello. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. This is Sports Ethos presentation. I'm Dan Vesperis. Congratulations to uh, all of the children listening to the podcast who just likely finished up their school years. I only bring that up because my child 
As of this exact moment that I'm recording this podcast, 1.02 p.m. Pacific time, my older son uh, just officially got out of class on his last day of kindergarten. So that seems crazy, and I'm sure everybody else is going through something uh, similar or has already done that, but that's uh, that's wild stuff. So uh, congrats to the parents that continue to survive the uh, nonstop chaos that is getting a child through this universe. But on the Cleveland front, and this is an interesting one, and it's it's a team where I got one part of the handicap perfect, and I got one part of the handicap completely wrong coming into this last season. I wonder how many of you actually even remember what I'm talking about when I bring that up. Do you guys remember what part I got right on the nose and what part I completely goofed? Well, that's fine. I'll remind you. The part I got completely on the nose, there were uh, a couple of them, um, but the big one was basically me saying, I don't see where Evan Mobley makes the giant leap forward. Which I think is perfectly fair. Because uh, Evan Mobley last year was right around number 75. And Evan Mobley this year went up like about a round and a half. I think he was like in the mid to late 50s. Which again is a small step forward. But it's not at all the cataclysmic or that's not the right word I'm looking for here. Not It wasn't at all the like he's about to jump into the 30 range and we all need to ready ourselves for, you know, the the coming of Evan Mobley. And that's not to say that I wasn't rooting for these things to happen. I think that that gets, that gets lost in the sauce a little bit, which is when I say something I don't think is going to happen, it, it's very different. So Evan Mobley's ADP was uh, 39-40 range. So uh, middle of the fourth round. And to his credit... He was extraordinarily durable this year. That's a great thing. And you can absolutely throw that in my face because by totals, that meant he had a pretty damn good year. I think he played 79 out of their 82 games. That's huge. That's a monster thing. But, but, and I I have to throw this in there, most of the time when you're looking at guys in that third, fourth round or whatever it is, you're hoping for someone with a certain measure of per game upside which with apologies to uh Mobley taking a small step forward he didn't take that giant leap that folks were hoping for his scoring did improve by one his rebounding improved by 0.7 his defensive stats stayed uh almost the same they actually came down a tiny bit free throws stayed basically exactly the same his field goal percent did come up from 51 to 55. That actually did make a difference. That went from being kind of a small positive for him to, uh, you know, one of his sort of big three. But when folks drafted Mobley, I think they were looking for more than a big three. Meaning positive in rebounds, positive in blocks, positive in field goal percent. That's traditional center big three. That's not what folks wanted. They wanted Mobley to be like big time steals. He was at 0.8. Last year, he stayed at exactly 0.8. That didn't move around very much. 
And frankly, uh, look, I'll be I'll be as honest as I can on this one. I think the folks that were hoping for an Evan, not hoping, that's not the right word. I, I, I screw myself into a corner by saying stuff like that. The folks that were predicting this big Evan Mobley jump forward, I think we're predicting higher scoring for him, more volume, more involvement in the offense when his shots per game stayed exactly the same. He was at 12 last year, and he was at 12 this year. Which, by the way, shout out to Mobley for keeping his shot volume at 12 because uh, Jared Allen's actually went down by a half and they brought in Donovan Mitchell, who took 20 and a half shots per ball game, but they only sent out a bunch of kind of uh, semi guys. Like Larry Markin was only taking 11, Colin Sexton was at 13. Almost all of those just went to Donovan Mitchell. But I do think that by and large, I said, I don't know where Mobley gets. I don't know how he gets into this late 30s, early 40s range on a per game basis. Unless folks thought there was going to be this big jump in free throw percent or scoring. And some folks were trying to convince me that the defensive stats were even going to go higher. But I I mean, that that just didn't feel feasible because he was already playing 34 minutes a game as a rookie. So we got that one generally right. He was getting overdrafted this year. Again, shout out to the durability. That's a big deal. But he was getting overdrafted this year. What about looking towards next season? Well, that's kind of a different burn. I don't actually know what the general feel is on Mobley for those that had him on their rosters this year. My my guess is that folks were like, yeah, this went okay, which is probably a fair assessment of it. He probably gets drafted more where he belongs this coming season. And for that, I think he actually does end up as a possible value because if he can flex that durability card again and you can get him instead of it like 38 to 42 range, if you go one round later and he's going uh, instead of early fourth, more like like mid fifth or something like that, like late 50s to 60 or even frankly, even early 50s is okay. Then you're like, okay, well, the the upside here is maybe his free throw shooting does get a little bit better. I don't think he scores more as long as this team's makeup stays mostly the same. I don't think his scoring changes all that much. I don't think his steals and blocks change all that much. I don't think his rebounding changes all that much. Free throw percent is the area of attack for him now. Get that, get that 66, 67, 68. That get, get that up to like 71, 72. That's how you move up another half round. Get it up to 74, you can almost move up a full round. Turn that negative into a, a, a neutral, basically. Try to get it up into a neutral zone. Could the scoring get a tiny bit better? as eh, a possibility, but this sort of takes us over to the Cavaliers' contract situation, which the only notable name coming off the books is Karis LeVert. Uh, he was making $19 million last year, blah, blah, blah. Like, the Cavs can go get someone to maybe fill that role. Maybe they try to bring him back. Either way, that, to me, doesn't really change the Evan Mobley calculus all that much. I don't think. So looking towards next year, it's going to come down to ADP, but I think there's a chance that Mobley just kind of falls into that, like, this is a very reasonable place to get him sort of range. Unless people are like, no, it's coming. The breakthrough is coming. But how? How does the breakthrough come? when the two main ball handlers on this team are also going to be the main shooters. They are the main passers and the main shooters. There just isn't any room left, especially if Mobley's not going to be 
you know, a, like a self-creating juggernaut, which he's not. And Jared Allen has a fresh contract. He's making $20 million for another three seasons, so he ain't going anywhere, most likely. So where is this extra stuff coming from? And frankly, while we're on the topic of Jared Allen, who's very comfortably been in the 30s on a per-game basis each of the last two years, has missed a little bit of time, not an overwhelming amount, uh, but his numbers are not that different from Mobley's. That's the really amazing thing here. Everybody's like, oh, Evan Mobley, he's gonna, about to make this massive leap forward. Jared Allen's numbers are not that different, and actually Allen outshot Mobley at the free throw line this year and last year, and field goal percent was higher. That's the main difference between those two guys. Mobley's two points higher, points per game, and one assist. The steals, the blocks, that stuff is almost a dead heat. The rebounds, pretty close. Allen by one. Jared Allen, nine percentage points better at the from the field goal side, six percentage points better at the free throw line. So Jared Allen just sort of cruised along as a late third-round pick, and there's every reason to believe that he can just kind of do that again. And what about the big names? And this is this is where there was a mistake on my side. Not on Darius Garland, because I did say I thought both Cavaliers ball handlers would take a hit, a fantasy hit this year. And I was right about one of them, and I was wrong about the other. Because Donovan Mitchell came in, and he was like, you know what? This is my team now. I'm going to do exactly what I did in Utah, and if anybody's better than me, great. Let's see him sort of take it from me. Because last year in Utah, Donovan Mitchell took 20 and a half shots per game, 20.6. This year in Cleveland, 20.6. The big difference for Mitchell year over year was that in Utah, he shot 44.5%. And in Cleveland, he shot 48.5%. And so that translated to more scoring and field goal percent going from being not punt level bad, but certainly a, a notable negative to being a neutral. Turnovers were lower, probably because he was playing with another kind of primary ball handler or maybe just luck. I don't know. Steals stayed at 1.5. That was predictably high. He actually blocked a few more shots this season. So a lot of stuff kind of tipped in his favor in a way that uh, I don't know if that sticks. Do we think Donovan Mitchell can replicate what he did this season? Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. 
Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. To me, it feels like a little bit of a reach. He's never been anywhere near 48.5% shooting before, and it's not like his three-point percentage changed all that much. He just made, like, every damn two-pointer he took. I think he shot, like, oh, I don't know. You guys can run the numbers, I guess. Uh, 6.4 out of uh, 11.3? 6.4 out of 11.3, whatever the hell that comes out to be. He shot really well from two-point range. I don't have that number in front of me, but I do have their... The three-point attempts and maids and the and the overall attempts and maids. F- uh, free throws stayed the same. He's been right in that same general area for about the last four years in a row. Assists were ever so slightly down. That's a little bit of the Darius Garland effect. Uh, blocks have fluctuated for Donovan between .2 and .4 throughout his career. So the big difference, again, 48.5% shooting for a guy that in his career was around 44 before this year. If he does it again, you can start to believe that maybe that's a real thing. I'm not sold on drafting him at 15 where he finished this year on a per-game basis. I might look more at the Utah number, which was 25. Say, all right, well, he com- let's say he comes back down to 45% shooting. That puts him more of that kind of early second-round range. Um, but again, like, you're not going to get a complete flop out of Donovan Mitchell. So I don't have any... I don't have a huge issue if someone were to take him at, like, 19 or 20. I just... I think personally, I'd be a little bit surprised if he cleared that mark a second season in a row and continued to shoot the ball as well as he did. And I, you know what? I'm tired of talking about the things I got wrong. <laughs> I kid. Um, yeah, I didn't think Donovan Mitchell was going to get 20 and a half shots again in Cleveland. I thought that number would have to come down a little bit, and I certainly didn't expect him to have a near 5% field goal bump, but that happened also. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we got that one wrong. But I, I do still, I do have trouble believing that he can replicate the field goal percent. Not to say that I don't think he belongs at a uh, at, at a relatively high draft spot. I just, you know, I don't know about 15 or if, if he starts to go kind of where he finished up this last season. And then what about Darius Garland, who saw a pretty decent size fall off? I mean, that's not entirely fair, I guess. Um when you compare his season this year to his season last year, he was number 46 on a per-game basis. This year, he was number 38, so that's not that big of a deal. But if you recall, um, Colin Sexton played the first 11 games last year. And if you kind of yank those games out of the mix, it actually gets even more robust for Garland. Again, it's not as it's not as huge whopper of a of a flying leap forward, um, but he was very much a third rounder last year, and he was very much a late fourth this year, and a lot of that was just a, a usage dip. You know, he was at eighteen, nineteen shots a game for long stretches last season, and this year he was at sixteen and a half. He was at almost nine assists last year. He was at around eight assists this year. Scoring down about a point, point and a half. Threes were roughly the same year over year. Rebounds roughly the same. Steals roughly the same. So a lot of that stuff kind of stuck. And around 46% from the field and, you know, high 80s at the free throw line. But again, for Garland, the note there is just that Donovan Mitchell came in 
and he became the alpha. And Garland, not maybe a full-blown beta, he wasn't like directly behind him in the pecking order, but his leader status on that team got taken down a peg. He was the 1B. It was a very obvious 1A and 1B. They were not equals. Garland, more assists than Donovan, but he came down. But I do think, you know, when you look at a guy like Darius Garland who scored a decent number of points and hit a decent number of threes and had eight assists per ball game, it just it doesn't feel like he's a guy that's ever going to get underdrafted now that everybody kind of saw the big finish to not this most recent season, but the previous one when he was, you know, in the mid-20s in scoring and nine assists, and it was it was a real hootenanny. That, that, Don, that Darius Garland is probably gone as long as Donovan Mitchell is in town, and and he is for at least two, maybe even three more years. And Garland is signed uh, basically into eternity as well. So you got this Cavs team that, and I didn't want to start the podcast like this, but you got this Cavs team that is uh, almost, I think I, I think there were times where I called them one of the most boring fantasy teams because nothing ever really changed. You got like a couple weeks in there where Kevin Love had value, then they cut him loose. You had a couple weeks in there where Karis LeVert had value, basically when Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland were each out at the same time. They were both out. That was good for LeVert. If one was out but not the other, then you had like this intermittent LeVert. Uh, well, that wasn't enough. And then when no one else was even really close. On this team, you know, Isaac Okoro was the sixth ranked fantasy player by the end of the year, and he was at number 242. I don't know if Levert's going to be back. I'm sure a bunch of teams are going to offer him a a medium-sized role and a decent amount of money. His fantasy game is horrible. Field goal percent low, free throw percent low. Steals not that high. Scoring not that high anymore. Assists not that high. Rebounds not that high. I I don't, I have not been a Karis Levert fantasy fan uh, really ever. Dodge that bullet over and over and over and over and over again. The only way you look at him is if he resigns in Cleveland and we find out that one of the two main guys, main ball handlers, I should say, in, in Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, and we find out one of those two guys is going to be out for a stretch. And even then with Levert, you're kind of like, well, does he get that top 100? Eh, borderline. Did he have a... Didn't he have a 40 or 50 point game this year mixed in? Something insane like that. So if you can have one of those mixed in and still you're not inside the top 150 on the year, it tells you a lot about what the other games were. And then when this team was healthy, uh, he wasn't even remotely close to playable. So Donovan Mitchell, probably slightly overdrafted next year, but a chance to be accurately drafted. Darius Garland, also probably going to be slightly overdrafted this coming season, and I don't think that inches its way to accurate. I think it's slightly overdrafted. Evan Mobley, um, I'm hoping that he's about accurately drafted because I think he might be someone we target with the hopes that he just sort of stays upright and puts up these reliable, decent numbers all season long. Hard to know for sure. And then Jared Allen, he profiles kind of like one of those 25 to 50 range dudes we've been talking about on this podcast that... I, I should get in the habit of actually writing down the stupid names that I come up for these groups, but that's kind of the old man window. The fallers. Because someone else out there 
I don't know who. I'm sure we've passed them in on some of our discussions here. Someone else out there, people are going to be like, yes, this is the year. I've got to take Bo Hephus at pick 29. I can't let him fall any farther than that. And it's when that happens a couple of times that a guy like Jared Allen falls. Oops, oh no, look, there he is. He's getting drafted at 40 instead of 32. And now you've got just a nice, clean, opposite field single with your fourth round pick. It just at that point, it makes it easy. Oh, you didn't have a center your first couple of picks? There's Jared Allen. He'll just reliably plod along at that 40 or better range stuff. And at the end of the year, it's all going to level off, and you're going to have a nice season, and then you just kind of have to hope that he plays. Yeah, he'll get in 68 regular season games this year. If he hits 68 or more, he probably ends up as a small draft day hit. As our very early predictions on the Cleveland Cavaliers. Friends, you are now down to nine days to get your Father's Day gift for whoever it is that you might be handing one off to. But might I suggest trying out something with our pals over at Manscaped.com. Use the promo code either Ethos20 or HoopBall20. And, oh, I thought I stopped the recording for a second. I did not. That was that, that, was that momentary freakout that I'm going to actually leave in the podcast today. Uh, and get 20% off and free shipping on your order over at Manscaped.com. Get the father figure in your life, the best sideburn trimmer that has ever been invented, and it's on the market over at Manscaped.com. Get their brand new Beard Hedger. Beards are fashionable, man, but you got to keep those things tight. You can't go big, fluffy beard unless you're uh, going to explain the Talmud to me during our, our soup lunch together. No, not that. You got to trim it. Got to keep it tight. There was a play... Oh, man, what was his name? When I worked in Visalia for the Visalia Oaks before they became the Rawhide, the, um, the, the station manager for the sporting news radio station in the Central Valley in, in Tulare County had the most perfectly manicured white beard that I can ever remember. Even to this day. I mean, it's been... When the hell was that? It's been 16 years since I saw that man's beard. And to this day, I think, man... If I only had the time and the tools to have a beard like that guy. And look, mine is well on its way to turning gray. 40th birthday be damned. It's well on its way. Uh, And now we finally have a thing that can do it. The Manscaped.com Beard Hedger. I don't know what the hell that dude used in 2007. Must have taken him half a morning. I mean, it was so perfectly manicured. All the hairs, like the grain on it. It was like when you got a perfect piece of meat that you're going to barbecue, and you flip it over, and you're looking at the grain on the meat, and you can see it so clearly. That's what that man's face was. Now we can all have a perfectly grained face. God, I wish I could remember his name. Who the hell was that guy? But damn, his beard was beautiful. What a, what a majestic, what a majestic set of hair. Manscaped.com, Ethos 20, 20% off and free shipping on your order. Check it. Check it. Go get it today. So, um, let's talk a little Chris Paul before we wrap things up for the weekend and put another week in the bank here. In the bank here on, uh, on Fantasy NBA Today. Chris Paul, it was reported, this was like a series, it was a wave of reports. Chris Haynes came out with the first one saying that Chris Paul was uh, likely to be waived 
by the Phoenix Suns because they owe him $30 million. But if they waive him before June 28th, only half of that salary is guaranteed. So waiving Chris Paul saves them $15 million. It opens up a little bit of money towards their cap. They can bring in... And we kind of saw it a little bit with the Lakers. Like, if you can get out from under a bloated contract for a player who's not playing like that bloated contract, and you can kind of spread that around to a bunch of relatively skilled guys, it actually, in a lot of cases, makes your team better. That's not to say that any one player they get to replace Chris Paul is going to be better than he was, but the aggregate will be better than just the one CP3 who was pretty, pretty, pretty banged up this last year and seemed to lose a step, kind of downshifted a tad during this most recent season. Uh, and, you know, it just makes the team better. Like, for the Lakers, you saw getting out from under Russell Westbrook. That was an easy one because Russ was uh, basically an active negative for that team in a way that Chris Paul wasn't really a negative so much as he sort of wasn't a positive anymore. But then the Lakers were able to turn that contract into this combination of D'Angelo Russell who, yeah, he struggled against the Nuggets, but he's actually quite good for the Lakers when he was healthy during the regular season in the first two rounds of the playoffs. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt was terrific for what they needed him for. Um, Malik Beasley, he had his moments, maybe not as much there, if you're talking about sort of what you get from replacement guys for the one bigger contract. So the Suns then will probably look for something. Now, they can bring him back, but I don't know. There's something... Everybody's like, oh, well, Phoenix could re-sign him for the veterans minimum. But does Chris Paul really want to just give up half his contract and then come back and play for the same team? I don't know that I would. Now, this isn't like it's a team where he's been for 15 years and it's like a legacy mode thing and he just wants to win a championship there but nowhere else. We're talking about someone that has run the Players Association for... Uh, quite some time. He was their president for how long? I don't know how the how long the uh, the terms are there, but it's pretty rare for guys at the top of the players' association, guys that are basically like trying to set the marks for players to kind of advance everybody's contract, to take a cut and then come right back to the same team. They hate it. Players Association hates it when players take salary cuts because then teams are like, oh, well, maybe we can expect our guy to do this down the line. Seems to me that the Suns are going to try to trade him because after the Haynes report came out, Woj and Shams, Shams, excuse me, came out uh, like whatever it was, 20, 30 minutes later with their own little caveats to it, which basically said Suns are going to try to trade him. They might trade DeAndre Ayton. If they can't trade Chris Paul, they might They'd wave him and stretch him, so that would create a little bit more salary cap space. And then Chris Paul would kind of, at that point, have his choice of where he wanted to go based on how much money a team could offer him and also just general location. Now, CP3 lives in Los Angeles, so a lot of folks are expecting the Lakers to be on the board. And and honestly, they probably will be on the board because we know the Lakers are trying to move D'Angelo Russell if they got some sort of commitment from Chris Paul that he was going there. That would mean that a D'Lo trade might not have to net them a point guard coming back. And it just sort of opens up some things. And plus, Chris Paul and LeBron James, we know that they're extraordinarily close, a la the banana boat with Carmelo. Maybe they bring Carmelo back out of retirement, even though he just put out a video saying he was retiring and LeBron put out a video. That was not, he didn't put out a video. He said it in a post-game interview, I think. He was like, yeah, I, I, like, I taped it. So, yeah, I knew this was happening. Um... Maybe they get the band back together. That's a very old team. Woof, that's an old team. 
Or maybe he ends up somewhere else. We don't know. What I do know is that he's now kind of in that bucket of a little bit too old. Here's the thing about the Dan Vespers old man squad. There are a lot of ways that it works out great. And frankly, let it be known that as bad as Chris Paul's season seemed this year, on a per-game basis, he actually still beat his ADP. He was getting drafted uh, in the... in the Actually, it was pretty close to Evan Mobley, who we were just talking about. Chris Paul was getting drafted near Evan Mobley. Um, where was the... Where's the official ADP on CP3? I think it was in the late 30s. Yeah, 37. So, like, two or three slots in front of Evan Mobley. His per game still, in in what I think we can all agree, was basically his worst season since Houston. Uh... He, he still finished at number 31 on a per-game basis. So, uh, like, as bad as it was, it still wasn't a complete disaster. Now, the 23 missed games, that was rough. Booker missed almost 30. KD, who they traded for, immediately missed a whole bunch of time. DeAndre Ayton missed 15 games. Suns were banged up this year, which you kind of knew was coming because they'd been super healthy for, like, two straight seasons. Uh, the shoe always, that other shoe always kind of drops at some point. But where Chris Paul goes matters, and motivation matters, I think. He's not going to get drafted early this year. Here's the thing. like You can always tell when a player sort of gets up and over that, that age hump. I'm trying to think of the right way to frame this before we send you guys off into a lovely weekend. The Dan Bespris Old Man Squad works for guys for many, many years. As soon as a player hits boring status, and for some guys that happens when they're 24, you might get a clean decade out of that dude in the Old Man Squad. Unencumbered for like 10 straight years of Old Man Squad enjoyment. But there is going to be that season where at the tail end, we're still drafting them, and they do finally actually get old. And that's kind of what happened with CP3 this year. After riding him for a season after season after season, he did finally get old. Does that mean I'd never draft him again? Hell no! Because people are really soured on him. He is old. He might go to a new team. He might have to be even a sidekick to a sidekick to a sidekick there. But he's still an elite assists guy, an elite steals guy who keeps his turnovers down Free throw percent is typically very good. Field goal percent was down this year, but you never know. Go someplace else. Maybe it does bump back up a little bit. Maybe he's a little bit healthier next season. I wouldn't expect much in the way of scoring out of Chris Paul, but just from an orchestration standpoint, he is still a wizard. Not a Washington wizard. He's, he's an actual sorcerer. I mean, if he was going in the late 30s this year, and that was after three terrific seasons in a row... Think about how late he might go next year. You might see Chris Paul getting drafted in the 50s and 60s this coming season. I'm going to be all over that. Honest to goodness, I don't care if he misses 25 games. If he's getting drafted in the 50s and 60s, the, the yeah. I mean, he's like an autoplay at that point, even if he's super old. That's like Kyle Lowry, uh, but not quite. Because, you know, with Lowry, his role was changing significantly there's just like isn't anything else you can take away from chris paul that already wasn't taken away this past season he only took 11 shots per game he was just bringing it up and feeding it to people he was running a pick and roll and then feeding it to somebody 
I'm actually kind of excited. I know. He's super duper old, and this might get me to go buy back in again. But honestly, what might get me to buy back in is if his ADP is just obscenely late. We can dream. Wrap it up, B. Okay, if you insist. Have a great weekend, everybody. This was another week nine of the offseason. Doesn't matter. We're in it to win it, baby. Two months down and four to go. Woof. Looking forward to getting to the halfway point because, I mean, like, for real, for real, once you get to September, that and you're in the climb because you can start talking about all draft stuff for a clean month and a half. So it's really not a six-month offseason. It's really more like a four-and-a-half-month offseason, and we're very close to the halfway point on that one. I am Dan Vespers, at Dan Vespers over on Twitter. You guys know that by now. Go get something over at Manscaped and hit me up. Let's talk about getting you involved with us here over at SportsEthos.com and Ethos Fantasy BK. And with that, I bid you all adieu. So long, everybody. We'll see you guys again on Monday. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.